Welcome to the Gary Smith Show. For the next hour, Gary will be taking your calls and answering your emails as he discusses personal development as it relates to your business, your career, and your personal life. Gary is a successful businessman and entrepreneur and is the founder and president of Optimum Performance Technologies, LLC. Gary is a business consultant, business and personal coach, and a professional speaker and writer who has dedicated his life to helping businesses and individuals develop and implement plans to take their companies and their lives to new levels of performance and success. Gary is the author of two outstanding books, The Shepherd and the Princess, Seven Keys to Conquering the Goliaths in Your Life, and Achieving Unusual Greatness, Timeless Lessons from the Trail Already Blazed. If you have a question or comment for Gary, please call in at 860-432-9735 or email him at questions at optex.com. You can also learn more about Gary by visiting his website, optex.com. And now here's Gary Smith. Good morning, everyone. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Gary Smith Show. I just want to make sure that everybody knows that this is not a pre-recorded show. We are indeed live, so feel free to uh, call in if you have any questions, comments, suggestions. Uh, You can reach us at 860-432-9735. If you prefer to send a text message, uh, the number is 860-856-7193. Or email your questions to questions at optex.com. Uh, also, if you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, if you go to optex.com, there's a banner right on the top of the main page of the website that will take you to a, a listing of all of our previous broadcasts so you can catch up and see what you've missed there. Uh, also, don't forget that for the month of May, we're running a contest. Uh, we started it last week, and basically it's a real simple thing. If you have a question or a comment and you either call into the show or email in, uh, we'll throw your name into a hat, and at the end of the month, we'll uh, we'll draw several names out of the hat, and people will get some, uh, some neat stuff, including uh, copies of uh, my books and CD, and we're working on a few other prizes that we can uh, can offer to you as well. So it's great to be with you this morning. Another uh, little bit of a cold uh, Saturday with still a little bit of rain in the air. So grab your cup of coffee and sit back and listen, uh, and hopefully we'll have a, a great time today. I want to take this opportunity to thank Zach Hutchinson, my producer, for being with me this morning. Uh, it's always good to have him along because uh, this show would not be possible without him. Um, What I want to do this morning is start off and just do a kind of a a quick recap of last week's show. And the reason for that is, is that it seemed to generate some interest. I got a couple of emails during the course of the week um, that we're going to be talking about and responding to. And uh, I I think it's really important. So if you have any questions related to our our program last week was finding a job in a difficult economy. So if you have any questions or comments or anything related to that, please give us a call, send us an email. Uh, But I really want to go back now and just take a quick recap of last week's show. And then we'll jump into the couple of uh, couple of emails that I received and uh, and talk about the issues and and the problems that the people were having. Uh, Last week, as part of finding a job in a difficult economy, we started out talking about the biggest challenges uh, to finding a job. And a lot of that relates to your attitude uh, when you're out looking for a job. So many people, when the economy is bad, they've been out there for a period of time, they've been looking, and they get discouraged when they're not finding, when they're not finding things. And, and it's difficult because no one wants to hire someone who has low self-confidence and, and shows it both verbally and non-verbally. Um, so 
suggestions to to deal with that are first of all pray about it you know ask god to help you through the process breathe relax see yourself as a calm and confident person and if you're struggling with discouragement or or what to say Take some time before you go to the interview and practice in the mirror. Talk to yourself. Practice answering questions. Think about questions that an interviewer may be asking you and rehearse your answers so that it's right on the tip of your tongue when you get there. Um, We also talked about people who are are in a situation where they may be looking to change careers, either because uh, you may not like what you're doing right now, or perhaps you can't find a job in the field that you've been working in for a number of years, and so you're looking for how you might transition uh, into something where there maybe is more of a demand for what you're doing. And so we talked about uh, doing a like a core assessment of what are the core skills uh, that have enabled you to be successful in the past. Uh, what other skills do you have that can be used to move you into perhaps a different career? So I think the example I used is that you might not currently be in a supervisory position, but if you've been involved in leadership in a local civic organization or your church, uh, maybe you've been a scout leader or something like that. Maybe you've coached basketball. Look at those kinds of skill sets. Also think about what is it that you're really passionate about? You know, if you could be king or queen for a day, what kind of a job or career would you create for yourself? And the other thing, especially when it comes to interviewing for jobs that may be outside your area of expertise, or what are the gaps between where you are and where you want to be, and how can you get creative in, in filling those gaps? Then we talked about other sources for finding jobs. I mean, a lot of people will go to Career Builder. They'll go to Monster. They'll look in the regular newspaper and things like that. But there's tons of other things that you can do to identify job opportunities. Use social media to your advantage. Whether you're on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, start discussions out there. Let people know what you're interested in. Uh, Use your personal network, your family, your friends, your church affiliations, and don't be afraid to get out there. And as Lauren White was saying, she was our guest last week, do the ask. Be willing to get out there and and ask about things. Uh, Look at other networks. There are a number of business networking groups here in Connecticut who meet at least once a month, sometimes more often than that. Go to those meetings, talk to people, even go into uh, in regular business networks and, and become a member of those things because a lot of the people who are showing up there will either be decision makers for hiring people in businesses or they know people who are and they can, they can give you some, uh, some direction. And also, don't forget uh, professional business associates, associations, uh, engineering associations, human resource associations that you can get uh, plugged into. Then we talked about getting people to meet with you, uh, about being persistently consistent, uh, finding the people you want to talk through, through doing things like searching their businesses on LinkedIn and reaching out to either the, uh, the decision makers, the owners of the company, or finding people in their organization who may be able to make an introduction for you. Call the company. Be creative in your phone calls, your emails, and letters. And remember that your approach to them is not about what they can do for you. It's always got to be about what you can do for them. Employers want people who can and are interested in adding value to their companies. And then we talked about the impact of your resume, that your resume needs to to have a visual appeal to it. It needs to be neatly done. And it really needs to highlight the strengths that you have, your strengths and your accomplishments. And I shared a little bit about my resume. The way my resume has always been structured is that it gives the employer my title, my employment dates, a brief description of what the company does, a brief description of what my responsibilities were, but then the majority of it was focused on what did I accomplish when I was working for that employer. 
Make sure your resume doesn't have any misspellings or run-on sentences. As I already said, highlight your strengths and accomplishments and keep it. try to keep it to a maximum of two pages unless you're applying for a position in like medicine or academia where you really need to have more, uh, more details. Um, and then we talked about the last two subjects were kind of do's and don'ts for job interviews, how to present yourself uh, properly, being prepared, have questions to ask, uh, being be engaged in the conversation, do your homework about the company so you know something about them, and then always have a great attitude when you go in. Always be focused on turning negatives into positives because sometimes interviewers will ask you difficult questions like, what's the greatest failure you've had in your career? Have you thought about that? Are you ready to, to say, well, this is what happened, but this is what I learned from it, or this is how I benefited from it and how I've been able to get beyond that? Those sorts of things. So that was the recap of of last week. And as I said, we had uh, we had a couple of emails that I want to jump to. Before we do that, just want to let you know if you want to call in, you can reach us at eight six zero four three two nine seven three five. Text at eight six zero eight five six seven one nine three. Email questions at optext dot com. And let's jump into the first email I got. It was from Donna. And uh, Donna says, hi, Gary, thanks for the show. I look forward to listening every Saturday. I have boys who are now young men. They're in college, and they need a, need certain types of jobs, like in a clothing store, maybe working in a restaurant or a hardware store. What would you tell young people today who are looking for a job and get so discouraged because instead of being able to walk into a place and fill out a job application, they're told to go online and fill out a 10-page application with questions that don't even relate to the position. If they don't have any experience in the field, they have no chance of getting a job. There just doesn't seem to be a real person they can talk to. Uh, Donna, this is a common thing, and I've got several suggestions for you. First of all, if they can, and I, I don't know what part of the country they're in or where they're going to school or kind of what the demographics are, but if they can... Have them focus on small mom-and-pop businesses and not the larger chain businesses. Uh, because when you when you are dealing with a mom-and-pop business, when you walk in the door, generally the person you're talking to is going to be the owner or the owner's wife. So you're talking one-on-one with the people who can make the decisions, who can evaluate you. They're used to doing this sort of thing. And you're not going through some impersonal human resource function at maybe a corporate headquarters who might be in New York even though you live in Philadelphia. Uh, number two, have them check with the college admin office. A lot of times colleges will have uh, people in the administration area who know of companies who are looking to hire people. Uh, they're, they're used to having students who come in who need to supplement their income. So have them check with the, with the admin office. Also have them check bulletin boards uh, in places that are, that, where there would be listings for people who are interested in specifically hiring uh, college students. Another thing they may do, too, uh, if they go to the grocery store, I know a lot of the local grocery stores that we have here uh, have uh, have bulletin boards where anybody can come in and do public postings about products that they're offering, services that they're offering, who they're looking to hire, that sort of thing. So you're, you know, your sons may be able to get some leads from doing that. And finally, one of the things I would talk about is how about starting their own business? Uh, it doesn't have to be anything that's capital intensive, but things like dog walking, car washing and detailing, 
Uh, just have them grab a pad of paper and a pencil and sit down and get creative and think of things that they can do to add value in the community. Just kind of ask them to wander around and keep their eyes open for things that are for things that are going on, for any kind of unmet needs where they might say, you know what, there might be a way to make a few bucks doing this sort of stuff. So, Donna, thanks for your uh, for your email. Thanks for being a loyal listener to the program. And I, I hope that uh, hope that helps you. The next uh, email came in from uh, from Charlie, and Charlie said, I didn't get a chance to listen live to your show, but I'm listening to the podcast on SoundCloud. Something that caught my attention is the requirement of having questions for the potential employer. I generally do not have questions, not at the interview. It's not that I'm not interested. It's because I'm one who prefers to figure things out on my own. I don't think it's a good use of, of time to ask questions that I can most likely find out on my own. I don't like the feeling that I may be asking a question that makes the interviewer uncomfortable. Also, time is valuable, and and this is selfish thinking, I know, but if they're not going to hire me, why should I spend time investigating so many companies that won't hire me? And I want to go back, and uh, uh, there's more to Charlie's email, but I want to go back to a couple of sentences here uh, that he, he wrote. Was One is, I don't like the feeling that I may be asking a question that makes the interviewer uncomfortable. I, I get that, and I would not go deliberately out of my way to ask difficult questions. But think about what you can learn in that process. If you ask an interviewer a question and he or she doesn't know the answer to the question, what can you learn from their response to it? Because there's basically one of three responses that they can give you. One is they can say, you know what, that's a really, really great question. I don't have an answer for it, but I'll either get it for you by the time you leave today, or I can see that your email address is on your resume. I'll email you an answer to that question. And that says that they're being proactive, that they're interested in what you have to say, and that they really want to make sure that you get the information that you're asking for. The second thing that they could do is to say, I don't know, and just stop there, say nothing more, and just let the issue drop. And the third thing that they can do is kind of dance around the issue, give you the impression that they really don't know what they're talking about, but they're going to try and make up some sort of an answer anyway. So when you're thinking about things from the standpoint that part of the interview process is that you're interviewing them, what kind of a response would you want from somebody? You know, do you want somebody who's going to ignore you, not give you an answer, or pretend to, to give you an answer that you know is probably not the right answer? Or would you rather work for somebody who's going to say, you know what, that's a really great question. Let me get an answer for you. So you can learn an awful lot from that. The second thing uh, that, you, that you commented on that kind of got my attention is saying, but if they're not going to hire me, why should I spend time investigating so many companies that won't hire me? Well, I guess my question would be is why are you going into a job interview with the assumption that they're not going to hire you? If, you, if you're doing that, what, what kind of an attitude are you going to communicate to them? I mean, it may not necessarily be in the words that you say during the interview, but are you going to be confident? Are you going to be pursuing the job opportunity? Are you going to be expressing an appropriate amount of interest? Like I said, not just necessarily in the words that you say, but in your body language. So I would always go into every interview with the attitude of they're going to offer me this job. And my job is to figure out, do I want to say yes when they do? So that's how I would approach it. Uh, Continuing on with Charlie's email, he says, uh, those are just thoughts I have. I know I'm in the minority thinking like this and that the world is changing with HR departments and headhunters and recruiters that expect us to follow certain norms or rules when applying and being interviewed. What happened to just being ourselves? I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. And 
So, Charlie, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with being yourself, but I get the guess the question I would ask, looking through or trying to look through the potential employer's eyes, is why would I want to hire you if you haven't taken the time to learn something about my business, and if you show no interest in my business by having at least a few questions for me? You know, I know it's difficult to balance personality with how you handle yourself in a job interview. I tend to be a little bit more bold, a little bit more straightforward, because I want the employer to know that this is a two-way street. He's interviewing me, but I'm interviewing him too. I'm not negative, but I do try to ask good quality questions, because I think in doing so that it gives people the impression that I have a good head on my shoulders, and it gives them some ideas about how I think and how I'm going to approach my job if I work for them. Yeah, you may not agree, and that's okay, but that's what's uh, what's worked for me in the past. I guess what I'm saying is we all have to find a style, an approach that we're both comfortable with and that produces some results. So I, I sent that kind of a response to Charlie, and he responded and said, you know, I'm not disagreeing with your advice, nor am I trying to suggest you're wrong. I think if someone has questions, then by all means they should ask. And I understand how it can give somebody an edge. My point is, why should I be penalized for an interview for not asking good questions? If I've been chosen for an interview, it should be because they think I can do the job. If I'm asking questions, it can look like I'm not certain about myself or the position or that I can't do some research for myself. I think we've moved into a dog and pony show arena. We have to act a certain way, say certain things to get advanced. The headhunter recruiter industry has changed the landscape with a scientific formula to hire people. But what I see is good, qualified people not getting hired because they don't play the game. Does that make sense? And yet others, less qualified, get hired because they ask questions. How does that make any sense? It's maddening that the days of meeting the person you're working for and having them ask the questions are slowly going away. And companies have hiring departments whereby managers are stuck with whoever the HR person hires. I think that's all to insulate accountability. You know, I, I think, first of all, Charlie, in response to that, that your major assumption that if you have been chosen for an interview, it should be because they think you can do the job. I think that assumption is incorrect. Just because you've been chosen for an interview is no indication of whether they think you can do the job or not. Over the years, I've interviewed lots of people who looked fabulous on paper, but they weren't any good in person. So I think maybe a more accurate assessment of being invited to the interview is that they saw something in your background that interested them enough to want to talk to you. So the purpose of the interview from the employer's perspective is to find out if you've got what they're looking for, not just from an experience point of view, but are you a good fit for the company from the viewpoint of your personality are you a fit with the overall company culture? Are you a fit from the standpoint of leadership style? Uh, so, and the person, the pers- um, yeah, the purpose of the interview from your perspective is to determine: Am I a good fit for the job, and do I want to work here? And if you can answer those questions positively, then you have to sit back and say, okay, what is it that they're looking for, and what do I need to do uh, to sell myself? Part of the sales process is asking intelligent questions to show interest and to let them know you've done your homework. Quite simply, I think it impresses people when you do, and it concerns them when you don't. So take it what it's worth, but that has been my experience over the past 20 or 30 years. As far as HR doing the hiring, um, I don't know, maybe it's different in the field that you work in, but I have never, ever seen that in all my years in business. 
even in entry-level positions, the department supervisor, in, in my world anyway, has always been the final say on who gets hired and who doesn't. Uh, and if it's different in your field, in my opinion, that's just plain nuts. Uh, human resources has their role to play, but they are not and they never should be the decision makers in the process. And if you find yourself in an interviewing situation where you're interviewed by people who are really far removed from the actual position and the person you would be reporting to, I'd be asking to meet with that individual. I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable request. Um, once again, this is your show, so give us a call, 860-432-9735. Text is 860-856-7193. Email questions at optex.com. And don't forget in to, to get in on the contest that we're having. Uh, what's the Connecticut lottery saying? You can't win if you don't play. Uh, now don't misinterpret that to mean that I condone gambling and that you should be running out to get your lottery tickets. But, but do give us a call and give me your thoughts, ideas, suggestions, and questions. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to get into today's program on continuous improvement. I've owned this company for a long time. I love what I do, but things keep getting more and more challenging. Taxes, the economy, global competition, they're coming together in a way that may put me out of business if I don't find a better, more cost-effective way of doing things. You want a better future for you and your loved ones. You feel that you have what it takes, but you just don't know where to start. I can help. My name is Gary Smith. I come alongside you to help you design a plan for your amazing future. Then I mentor you through the implementation process until you're well on your way to achieving your goals. Don't wait another second. Call me now at 203-599-1467 or email me at gary at for a free, no obligation At Life Changing Radio, we realize that some things just aren't so fun to open. Like a bill that's bigger than expected. Oh, man. Or that birthday gift that has the infamous oh. wool sweater inside. At Life Changing Radio, we make sure our e-newsletter is filled with fun and interesting articles that you'll definitely want to read. Like Look Back in History, Nana's Quick and Delicious Dishes, a plugged-in movie review, scripture memory, and great must-read articles. The fun starts when you open the e-newsletter. It comes out every Monday morning right in your inbox. Don't miss out on all the fun. Sign up for your e-newsletter today on our Facebook page at our website, WSDK1550.com. Click on the newsletter link or text the letters LCR to 22828. Then look for it in your inbox every Monday morning. It's our e-newsletter from Life Changing Radio. All right. Welcome back to The Gary Smith Show here on Life Changing Radio, 1550 AM, WSDK. Great to have you along for the ride this morning. And we're going to, now that we've kind of put the icing on the cake of our, our program from last week on finding a job, we're going to jump into another subject about continuous improvement. 
Now, those of you who are listening, who are business owners, who, who work in, uh, in manufacturing companies are probably somewhat familiar with the continuous improvement process. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize that continuous improvement works well in your personal life, too. And that's one of the things that I found from my years in, in manufacturing and business. There's so many things like continuous improvement that migrate over into our personal lives and some great tools that can be, uh, can be used there. And today we have a special guest uh, that we pre-recorded earlier this week. His name is Micah Escano. Micah is an engineer. He's also a certified Six Sigma black belt, and he's an intellectual property attorney. Uh, Micah is the founder and president of Artifacts Legal Consulting. Uh, He works with law firms and individual attorneys on the continuous improvement process. And as I said, we have several pre-recorded segments we're going to share from a conversation I had with Micah earlier this week. And he's going to help shed some light on the continuous improvement process, both from a a business and a personal perspective. Our first segment, uh, we're going to be talking about getting people comfortable with the continuous improvement process. So we're going to jump over to the beginning of our conversation uh, with Micah. Micah Escano. Okay, today our guest is Micah Escano. Uh, Micah and I had an opportunity to start getting to know each other probably about a year ago. And uh, it, Micah comes from a, a really, really interesting background because like me, he has a background in engineering, uh, but he went beyond that and got a certification as a Six Sigma black belt. But then after he did that, he decided to go back to school, became an attorney uh, with a focus on intellectual property. And now he actually owns his own business. It's called Artifacts Legal. Basically, what his focus is now is working with um, working with legal firms to help them improve their productivity and kind of get into the whole continuous improvement process. So, Micah, welcome to the Gary Smith Show. Great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm really excited to be here today, and hopefully, we'll have some fun. Oh yeah, we'll have a we'll have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about. Uh, continuous improvement, both from a personal uh, as well as a business perspective. But one of the first things I wanted to start off talking about, Micah, is that um, at least in my experience, when I have been working trying to introduce continuous improvement, whether it's to individual people that I'm coaching or to business organizations, uh, people, I think, sometimes see continuous improvement as a negative thing, because it's something that frightens them, because it uh, it really means change. So, from your perspective and the work that you've done, you know, how do you put people at ease? How do you go about getting people to feel comfortable enough with the continuous improvement process in order to give them enough time for it to take hold? Absolutely. One of the key things is, is deciding what you're what you're actually going to change. A lot of people think it's change for change's sake. If you really take a look at what you want to change, oftentimes it's just getting rid of the things you don't like anyway. So if you're focused on all the negative things about a task or a job or a process, and you say, well, no one likes these things anyway, and the goal is to get rid of these negative things, well, who can argue with that? Who, who wouldn't want the bad things, the bad part of a job to go away? So if you, if you spin it and, and target the areas of improvement that will make their lives better, you'll get a lot of buy-in a lot faster. Do you, do you think too that some of, the, um, some of the hesitancy to getting involved in the continuous improvement process also has to do with 
people being exposed to too much flavor of the month types of things where people have come in with lean, they've come in with Six Sigma, they've come in with whatever continuous improvement process uh, may be kind of the, the, the hype of the time. And it comes in, they try uh, working on it. And after several months, it just kind of fizzles. So do you think some of it is that people are just kind of sitting back and saying, you know what, it hasn't worked in the past. You know, everything that management has brought into the company just doesn't work. It, you know, it burns out after a while so if we ignore it long enough this one will go away too you know that that's absolutely true a lot of businesses don't have a lot of commitment to any particular type of process improvement or continuous improvement and it does come across as flavor of the month of the month uh, one of the things you really need to show your employees especially if you've had some failures or quick switching of, of kinds of improvement in the past is that you're actually going to be committed this time that you actually have a six-month plan of what you're going to do now, that doesn't mean you're going to succeed, but if you don't, have a plan for that and show them how they're a part of that plan. If you have that plan and have that commitment over the long term, you're going to get a lot more buy-in versus, oh, it's just so-and-so coming in this month with this grand idea he read about on some blog this morning. It's, it's, you really need that buy-in through that commitment to both your, your, your employees, your coworkers, and the goal of making a, uh, an improvement. Without that commitment, it's going to fizzle out and your employees are going to know it. Yeah, and it's almost like sometimes I think that employees almost have a sixth sense about that sort of thing because they can almost tell from from the start that uh, that, you know, that management either isn't really committed to it or maybe top management uh, isn't, but they're, they're forcing it down on lower-level managers. And so the lower-level managers don't come into it with, like you're saying, the conviction and the commitment that they that they probably should have. Well, a good start to our conversation with Micah. And one of the key learnings I got out of this is that the continuous improvement involves getting rid of stuff that you don't want or you don't use. And that applies both in business as well as in your personal life. When you stop and think about improving, what are the things that, on a personal level, what are the things that you, that you want to get rid of? What are the things that you'd really like to change that aren't producing results, that aren't producing fruit in your lives. And the same thing happens in business, as Micah said, who if, if someone could come along and show you how you could make your job easier by getting rid of a lot of the junk that you're doing that you don't really need to do, or by being better organized. So as an example, that the tools that you need for your job are right at your fingertips all the time. You don't have to go looking for them. You know, if if the bottom line is that there's a benefit to you for doing that, why would you not want to pursue that that approach? Uh, also, we talked about kind of the flavor of the month thing, um, both in personal and business experiences I've seen so many times. Let's take personal as an example where somebody will get a software package uh, that maybe is, a, uh, you know, is something that they're going to use to help them get better organized. And they start using it, and they take all of the time to transfer their information into it, and they start using it, and they're using it for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden, they see this new glitzy software package out there that looks like it might be better for them. And so they invest a lot of time switching, and then six months down the road, they find something else, and, and they jump to that. And they, they, they keep jumping from one thing to another but what you know what we need to do is we learn to need to we need to learn to stick with things long enough to give them a chance to succeed in our lives. Yeah, there may be some things out there that might be a little bit better, but you have to be honest with yourself and ask yourself is it enough better to a make me go through all the effort to switch things and b spend the money to to purchase that new software package. So that needs to be our approach to life. Give give things a chance to work. Um, there's a young gentleman who I've been coaching for a while now, and 
He has been uh, been working with an organization for about three years. He's doing well with them. Uh, the, the organization is going through some growing pains, and he's at a point now where he's saying, you know, gee, should I shift? Should I? And he's been kind of going back and forth with, no, I really want to stay with it. No, I really want to do something else. And we had a conversation outside a restaurant the other day, and I, and I really put it on him and said, you know what? Stay with what you've got. If you haven't invested at least five years with this business, you know, stay with them. Let them get through the growing pains because you've already produced some really, really great results. You don't want to give up on that and have to start over somewhere else. Build on the foundation that you have. Stay with it. So you need to show your commitment to, uh, to, the, to the process. And if you happen to be a business manager, you need to show that you're, that you're committed to it so that your employees will see that, that they will, that they will buy into it. Um, because employee buy-in and the continuous improvement process is so very, very critical to whether the process is going to succeed or not. We're going to jump into our second segment with uh, with Micah now, where we're going to talk about uh, dovetailing personal and business uh, continuous improvement. So let's hear what Micah has to say about that. Let's talk, too, about... Um yeah, especially on the kind of, I guess there's a there's a dovetail, or at least I see a dovetail, whether you're working on the personal side of your of your life or whether you're working on the business side. Uh, I know one of the one of my favorite quotes from uh, from Tony Robbins is he talks about can I C A N E I uh, continuous and never ending improvement. And one of the things that he talks about there is he said, gee, what would you rather have? Would you rather have 20% improvement in a year or would you rather have one-tenth of 1% improvement every day? And when you do the math on it, obviously the small incremental gains, the one-tenth of 1% improvement, you know, far outweighs the 20% a year, not only from the standpoint that uh, you get more but it kind of ingrains that culture that you're doing a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and you're building on that. So it's almost like kind of the compound interest kind of, uh, of thing. But from what, when you look at it from a personal point of view, if I say, gee, I have some things in my life that I really want to improve upon, and I really want to get on this continuous and, and never-ending improvement journey, uh, where do you go about starting? Where does the continuous improvement process begin for you? Honestly, you got to start where you are. It's, uh, it's really tempting to say, oh, someone else is so far ahead of me. I want to be there really, really quick. But you really can't. Like you said, the, uh, it's tempting to have that large improvement, but the small incremental is so much more powerful. And if you can't start where you are, when are you ever going to start? Uh, we, we see the hard work of others, and that could be a good motivator. But if we can't have the discipline to start incrementally, we'll, we're never going to get that large result we see other people have. Okay. So when we think about that, then as you're starting out on this continuous improvement journey, what are sort of the key elements of the continuous improvement process? And is there a pattern that we can follow that says, do this, do this, do this, do this, kind of step by step walking through it and, and until you really get started? Absolutely. Uh, what, one of my favorite acronyms is uh, DMAIC. It's D-M-A-I-C. First off, the D stands for define. So when we have a goal or we want to improve something, let's define it. What are we trying to improve? Let's define the problem or define the goal. Then we want to be able to measure it. So the M stands for measure. So let's say, for example, in our personal lives, who, which, who, who, of, us, who of us can't lose a couple pounds, right? So we can weigh that, right? So if we measure what we are today, we're going to know if we've lost weight or gained weight. So we have something to measure or, a, or something to compare it to. So we define a problem, and let's say it's weight loss. 
okay, we've defined it, we want to lose weight, then we can measure that. Then, you know, over time, as we start figuring out what we're going to do to work out, we can, you know, see if we're losing weight, we can analyze the data, the data we're measuring. A stands for analyze. And then if we look at the process and go, I think we can improve it. You know, I'm not really losing much weight as I want. Let's try changing something. And we can then improve what we're doing to lose weight. And then as we figure out what works, the C stands for control. We can, we can control it and keep doing those things that work and finding even more things after that that keep working. So we want to define the problem, measure it if we can, analyze what we've measured, improve upon what we've got figured out by measuring it and analyzing it, and then control it to maintain that and continuously improve it going forward. But really, you have to start with defining what the problem is, defining what your goal is. If you can't define it or lay it out clearly, you're not quite ready to start working on your continuous improvement yet. And that, you know, that's really key, and I appreciate that uh, DMAIC process. That's, uh, that really is one of the major foundations of continuous improvement. And it dovetails a lot with what I do as far as coaching, because when you talk about especially defining you get into looking at, uh, at, at the SMART process, where when you're setting goals for yourself, they have to be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-based. So it's, it maybe takes the define and focuses it just a little bit that says you're not only looking at defining the goal, but you're going to be specific in what you're trying to achieve. So it's not just a matter of you know, using your example of weight. It's not just a matter of, well, I want to lose 20 pounds. It's that I want to lose 20 pounds in the next six months and you put a date in there and then you as you're saying you have to be able to measure it so you want to be able to create some sort of a chart whether it's just a piece of paper you know, hanging on your refrigerator and every monday morning when you get up you weigh yourself and you record the number and you find out if you're headed in the right direction or not it has to be achievable so it has to be something i mean if, if i said I'm, i want to lose 100 pounds in the next 30 days <laughs> Chances are that's not that's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, I was talking with a cardiologist because uh, I had been in a situation where my doctor, my primary care doctor, had told me that I needed to lose 40 pounds, and he wanted me to lose 40 pounds in six months. And I was having my regular visit to the cardiologist and was talking with him about that. And he said, well, let me ask you, do you think that that's an achievable goal? Do you think you can lose 40 pounds in six months? And I said, no, absolutely not. And he said, then you're not going to do it. If you don't believe you can accomplish it, you're not going to accomplish it. But he said, let me ask you a question. He said, could you lose a pound a month? And I said, yeah, anybody in the world can lose a pound a month. And he said, believe it or not, he said, you do that for four years and you've got your 40 pounds. You know, he said, but, it, but it's really, really interesting. He said, the real key to it is, is that you cannot consistently lose a pound a month unless you fundamentally change your lifestyle. So he said, it is achievable, but change is necessary in order for that to, to be able to happen. And he gave me some good stuff as to what I could work with. Uh, but as you were saying, you know, to really nail it down, define it, and then, and then go after it. So that really is the foundation of, of where things begin. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you that if, if your goals in this are, are not realistic, you're not going to hit them and you're just going to be disappointed and frustrated at the end of the day. So it's, um, it's absolutely critical that they're realistic. You know, you can set a high goal and reach for it, but but you know, be understanding that if you if you don't make it the first time, just keep going. You're going to get there. Just keep striving for it. 
I think, too, that um, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but it has a lot to do with people's personalities, because some people will go out there and they'll set a goal that maybe is not uh, it's not unrealistic, but it's definitely a stretch for them. And if they don't make it, they'll look at it and be very positive and say, hey, you know, I got 90 percent of the way there. That's great. Now let's go after the next 10 percent. But other people have issues where if they set a goal and they don't hit it, all of a sudden they think of themselves as failures and they get discouraged and they, they won't, they'll stop. They won't keep going after things. And I think that plays into the continuous improvement process too, that sometimes maybe what we have to do is set more realistic goals and then celebrate the achievements along the way. Uh, you know, the little, the little targets that we, that we hit, even though it may seem insignificant, if we go after those things, it can be really important. Absolutely. I think it really that really kind of boils down to is how we perceive failure. Now, in I, I really think, you know, in a lot of our cultural ways, failure is the end all be all. You know, you could be at the Olympics, but if you get silver, well, you failed. You've only the second best in the entire world. Who wants that? And we it's really our response to that failure, which I think can really cripple us in life. So it's there are other cultures out there that take failure as a learning tool to become better. To, and to learn from it and achieve more long term. But it, here in America, sometimes we see failure as something that should be avoided at all costs, at the cost of risk, at the cost of learning, at the cost of making a difference. So in your example, you know, if you come up second best and you think, oh, I failed, I'm, I'll, you know, I should just stop now, it's, I think it's, it's not bad to fail. It really just should be used as an opportunity to learn from it and become better. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And I think you're right. The other thing that I see happening in our culture today, and, and I think Zig Ziglar was the one who nailed it right on the head when he said that failure is an event. Failure is not a person. And we tend to internalize things. And when we set a goal and, and we don't achieve it, we tend to look at ourselves as failures rather than looking at it and saying, I didn't achieve my target. Oh, well, reset it and, and keep going after it. Um, so that that can be really, really, really powerful. I think if we if we learn to embrace those kinds of concepts and realize that failure is part of life. You know, I, I've often told people I've managed in the past that if you're not failing at some level, you're not doing your job because you're not pushing the envelope. You're not learning. You're not getting any better. And I think we all can learn potentially more from our failures than we can from our successes. I think it was Tony Robbins who once said that when people succeed, they party. When they fail, they ponder. And that's what we want to be doing. We want to be learning from our failures. And I guess the bottom line is if we learn from our failures, are they really failures? We've learned something that we don't want to do again. We've learned something that doesn't work. And we shift gears and we find another another approach to be able to do things. So a great conversation here with uh, with Micah Escano, uh, talking about the continuous and never-ending improvement process, but the key learnings here, start where you are. Uh, don't worry about where you're going to be in the future. Start with where you are, with what you've got to work with. Also take the discipline to start working incrementally, whether you're building a Lego set or whether you're, uh, you know, whether you might be working on a, a big puzzle, nothing happens until the first piece is placed. And then once the first piece is in place, go to the second piece and so on. Another key thing that I think is important for us is to realize that we don't want to compare ourselves to where others are or to what they've achieved. The continuous improvement process 
is not about you competing against others. It's about you striving to achieve your personal best. So focus on the things that you can do. Don't be distracted by, you know, if you're in a, a, a weight class and you're trying to lose weight with some of your friends, don't be discouraged because the person next to you lost three more pounds this week than you did. Don't let that derail you. Stay focused and, and stay focused on playing your game. We talked about the DMAIC process, the whole idea of define, measure, analyze, improve, control, and how that relates to SMART goals uh, in, in the whole process. And, and I think the final thing that we want to drag out from our conversation with Mike is that failure is perfectly okay. I often have told people in, in business that if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. You're not getting out there. You're not taking enough risk. A certain level of failure in our lives is appropriate because we learn from it and because we're stretching ourselves, constantly stretching ourselves to be better and better. Part three of our conversation with Micah is talking about obstacles to successful implementation and sustaining of continuous improvement. So let's jump back into our conversation there and uh, see what Micah has to say. Let's take another, uh, a little bit different approach. Let's look at another subject here. And that is, what are the major obstacles in your mind to successful continuous improvement, not only implementation, but in sustaining it? As, as you get rolling. Absolutely. Uh, I think sustaining continuous improvement is, is one of the biggest issues. Uh, you know, to, to get it rolling, if you, if you have a good plan, you've gone through to make, define, measure, analyze, improve control, you're on, you're on a good path, you get some cultural buy-in by help, making sure your employees see the plan, how it's going to help them, how it's going to help the company. Um, those are all things I think a lot of us can, can do. But the biggest issue is in that last, that last letter of make control. Control means essentially it's continuing to monitor that process. It's, it's making sure you don't forget about what you've just done. But it's, it's not sexy anymore. You know, when we have a big process improvement and we see you know, how much we saved, how much we got better, it's easy to go, okay, we're done, and check out. We don't maintain it anymore. You know, back to that example of weight loss. You know, let's say you lose that 100 pounds and, you're, I mean, you're looking great. You got a six-pack and all that. Well, if you say, okay, I've lost all this weight and just stop. Stop working out. Stop watching what you eat. Twinkies and Netflix become your life again. It, you're, the, way it's, the way it's going to come back in anything, that's exactly what's going to happen. You, gotta, you have to maintain it. And even though it's not as exciting as starting the process of improvement, you got to have that in place where you, you check up on it, those, those natural checkup points to say, am I maintaining it? Is it still going in the right direction? You know, uh, a shorter acronym is PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act. And it's a, a continuous circular thing of you make a plan, you do it, uh, you check it to make sure it's doing what you want, and then you act on what you've just found out. And it's the moment you find out, oh, you check up on it, and uh-oh, it's not – I'm not where I want to be in life or in work or whatever I'm looking at. You need to act on it and take a look and see what you need to do. Yeah, that's really, uh, that's really true. And, and that again comes back to the whole thought process of how people approach things. Are the, are the systems that we're using really dynamic? Um, one of the guys that I know uses an example, he said, you know, when you, when you have a plane, and a plane is taking off, say, from Los Angeles, and it's flying to Hawaii, do you realize that that plane is off course 95% of the way? And that's why they have an autopilot. The autopilot is constantly triangulating the position of the plane, and basically it's saying, 
off course, correct, off course, correct, off course, correct. And several hours later, the plane lands right, you know, right on a dime on the runway in, in Hawaii. And when we look at that in our personal lives, we set a goal, we take action toward that goal, we monitor our progress and constantly ask ourselves the question, are the actions that I'm taking, taking me closer to or further away from my goal? If they're taking you closer to your goal, then keep doing the same stuff. But if you seem to be diverging, if you seem to be getting off course, then stop and make some adjustments. And you keep making adjustments and monitoring, making adjustments and monitoring, making adjustments and monitoring until you get to where you want to be. And ultimately, if you do that and just keep that dynamic process going on, you'll get to your goal. So really some more good stuff from Micah there. Uh, the, the key for the whole thing of, of sustaining continuous improvement is the whole control. And as Micah said, a lot of times we lose control because, because control isn't sexy. It's not something that is, is exciting as when we started. I mean, stop and think about the last time you tried to lose weight. When you get in and you, you lose all that water weight in the first week or 10 days and you've dropped 10 pounds and you think, man, this is really, really great. Uh, but then the process becomes more and more difficult because your body is going to lose the weight after that more slowly. But if you keep up with it, you eventually reach your goal. Well, then what motivates you beyond that? So you have to have a motivator that takes you beyond that goal and helps you uh, helps you control. And the whole thing that Micah was talking about, too, about plan, do, check, and act, um, you know, have a plan, do it. Monitor your progress. Keep checking to see where you are and, and then be willing to act. Be willing to make it a dynamic process. Make the adjustments that you need to make in order to get to where you want to go. Our last segment with Micah, I want him to talk a little bit about uh, what resources are available for those of you either personally or in business who would like to learn more about the continuous improvement process. So let's jump to our final segment with Micah. What resources do you recommend for those people uh, seeking to learn more about the continuous improvement process? Are there some things out there that are pretty basic that people can grab onto that'll give them the essentials that they need to get started? That is a good question. And one of the books I'd actually really recommend is uh, The New Economics by uh, W. Edwards Deming. Deming was a Christian man who uh, really influenced a lot of process improvement uh, through Toyota and his writings. And, uh, he, had, he quotes scripture, and it's a great it's a great book for for a lot of parts of your life. It's it, some parts you might want to skim, but it's a, it's a good book that I, I definitely recommend. Uh, I'll tell you what I, uh, I well, you probably know this. I'm a big fan of Dr. Deming. Um, you know, it's too bad that the uh, the companies in the United States didn't pick up on uh, his initial message, and he had to go to Japan. Uh, but he really has had a tremendous, uh, tremendous impact on the world, and uh, was a really, it was a really, really good man. So yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. That's a good starting point for people. And the thing that's neat is that although Deming's philosophies were primarily oriented toward the manufacturing world, there's so much crossover there. There's so much that you can use in your personal life um, to be able to better yourself. Just amazing. Absolutely, it's. Uh, I mean, truth is truth. And what works in industry can work in your personal life. And people used to critique his ideas and say, oh, it's only good for manufacturing. It's only good for that industry. You've seen his, his ideas and concepts end up in hospitals and more recently uh, through the work that I do in uh, the legal industry. So this, his ideas and concepts are applicable everywhere. 
Yeah, and that's what I found too in my coaching work and, and that sort of stuff. There's so much of the stuff that I have from years of manufacturing that just directly translates over. Uh, and uh, and it's interesting because people look at you and it's like, how did you figure that stuff out? And it's like, well, if you worked in the manufacturing world, it's just common sense, everyday stuff that we do. So it's really neat to see that uh, and see see how that works in the, in the world today. So with that in mind, uh, Micah, how can people reach out to you and be able to take advantage of the expertise that uh, that you have? You can find more information about what I do at artifactlegalconsulting.com, or you can shoot me an email at mjascano at artifactslegal.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Micah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. I, uh, I really value our friendship uh, the, and the fact that we've been able to get to know each other over the past year or so. And uh, looking forward to, uh, to continuing to get to know you better and uh, working with you as we go forward. Thanks again for being part of the show today. Thanks, Gary. So that wraps our conversation with uh, with Micah. Uh, I really appreciate him being willing to uh, come on. He's a great, great young man, one of the up and comers in the uh, in the legal industry today. And I'm just glad that we are that we're friends. Uh, for those of you who might want to get in touch with Micah, let me help you out here a little bit. His his website is artifactslegalconsulting.com, and artifacts is spelled A R T I F E X. And uh, if you want to email him, it's M J Escano. Uh, spelled A-S-C-A-N-O at artifactslegal.com. Uh, so you can reach out to him. Uh, the book that he mentioned, The New Economics by uh, by Dr. Deming, is a really, really neat book. Uh, I highly recommend it. And there's also uh, tons of other stuff out there on Dr. Deming that's available. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Never had the honor of meeting him personally, but over the years I've worked with a number of Dr. Deming's associates and he's just a just a really really cool guy, and the way he laid things out, just so practical, so common sense. And as Micah was saying, there are just so many things that you can take and learn from people like Dr. Deming that will directly translate not only into your business life but into your personal life. Some really really neat concepts that you can grab onto that if you if you learn how to use them. Uh, so feel free to get a hold of Micah. Also, don't uh, you know don't hesitate to contact me uh, if you'd like some more information on that. Well, that wraps up the uh, the show on continuous improvement today. Uh, next week, we have a very, very special treat for you. We've got Martha Marty Cobb is going to be with us. Um, I don't know if you've heard of her or not. Many of you have seen uh, her video. Uh, she's a Southwest Airlines flight attendant. Her, uh, her uh, safety check video uh, went viral on the Internet, had several million hits. Uh, and so uh, in talking with her, I found out that she's a Christian and is really a very, very dynamic person. So we're going to uh, have her on next week. We're going to be talking about next week about attitude and humor in the workplace. So until then, have a great rest of the weekend. May God bless you through this coming week. We'll look forward to seeing you next Saturday morning at 11 here on The Gary Smith Show. Until then, live your life with passion. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please mark your calendars and be sure to join us next Saturday at 11 a.m. for another edition of The Gary Smith Show. And remember, there are a number of resources available to assist you at Gary's website, optex.com. Until next week, may God richly bless you.